There are many, many, many good Christian brothers and sisters who love the scriptures, recognize that the Bible is the infallible, inspired Word of God, and that it is a part of of what we Catholics would call the greater tradition. It's the written aspect of the tradition that has been handed down from the writings of the apostles and their disciples. We recognize the beauty of that, but many, many, many of these Christian faithful brothers and sisters not only believe that the Bible is the sole authority, but believe that that the Bible would point to anything else but the Catholic Church. We're going to talk about that today on Deep in Scripture. Hello, welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi. Thank you for joining us on this program. Uh, It's a great pleasure to come to you over EWTN Radio, and uh, we're coming to you live, but we're also rebroadcast on uh, this evening and on Sunday morning. Please check EWTN.com to get the other scheduled times, or you can go to our own radio website, deepinscripture.com, where you can find all kinds of great things about this program, about the Coming Home Network International. You can even watch this program live from our studio here in Central Ohio. Each week uh, on this program, I invite a friend to come and join us to talk about a scripture they never saw. And what I mean by that is that usually our guests were deeply committed Protestant Christians, often ministers, who because of the way the Holy Spirit opened their eyes and heart to the Scriptures, they encountered in a way the truth of the Bible that opened their hearts and minds to the beauty and fullness of the Catholic faith, often completely against their will, completely against where their mind was heading. Sometimes they fought tooth and nail against what the Scriptures were causing them to believe. Sometimes they took those Scriptures and put them way up on a a top shelf, way in the back, to gather dust as they continued with their ministries, continued with their lives, but sometimes those scriptures just kept haunting them. And that is often the case with many of the guests on this program. I think it is just such a a truth for today's guest. It's a great pleasure to bring back to EWTN. She's joined me on the journey home several times and now is joining us for the first time on Deep in Scripture, Patty Bond. And let me tell you a little bit about her. Patty Bonds uh, is uh, a convert to the Catholic Church. She uh, came in on Easter Vigil 2001. She was raised in a deeply religious but deeply, as she describes it, dysfunctional home. Having been taught to hate the Catholic Church, her conversion was truly a miraculous act of grace. And we might get her to talk just a bit about that, though I will say that her entire Conversion story is available in a number of sources, including if you go to EWTN.com, you can listen to the Journey Home episodes in which she joined me. Having Journey Home during the 2000 Jubilee year and during the turmoil of the sexual abuse scandals, Patty longed to share the healing power of God that she had experienced with the victims of the scandals. Having appeared on the Journey Home program in 2002 to share her conversion to the Catholic Church, she appeared later in 2007 to introduce her own story of recovery from sexual abuse and how the Catholic Church holds the answers to the deepest needs of those who have been betrayed by men in spiritual authority. Her Out of Darkness blog, I want you to get that, Out of Darkness, that's her blog, series chronicles her journey from angry victim to thankful daughter of the living God. And uh, it's just great to invite Patty to join us in just a moment. Uh, As normal on this program, we invite the guests to choose a verse. Patty's first response was she has 150 of them. So we're going to have to schedule an entire year series with Patty. But she condensed it to five, which still is a bit long for our program, but we're going to I'm going to offer them all to you, and then when Patty joins us in a moment, I'll let her kind of run with them the way she wants, because I understand perfectly her dilemma. Because the the truth is that, and this happened to me and so on, many others, when you love Jesus Christ and you desire to follow him wherever he calls you, without abandon, and you believe that it's in his word that you most hear him, and then when you discover in his word 
there are scriptures that challenge where you are as a Christian, and particularly open your heart to the fullness of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, it's like, whoa, wait a second. And that's a bit of what we're talking about today. Let me read a few of the verses that Patty has chosen, and then she'll join us in a moment. The first one that she chose for our consideration is uh, very clearly a verse that awakened so many people to the Catholic Church, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and 19. And Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. She also chose Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46. I'm not going to read that entire section. It's the familiar section of the, the parable of the sheep and goats. And I'll just read the one statement that is kind of the, the central aspect that addresses the, the division. And that's, for example, when the righteous answer the king, Lord, when did we see thee hungry and feed thee or thirsty and give thee drink? And when did we see thee a stranger and welcome thee or naked and clothe thee? And when did we see thee sick or in prison and visit thee? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And that's the center of the parable that deals with the separation of sheep and goats. And we'll talk about that in a minute. A third section of scripture that she chose comes from Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 12. And God did extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were carried away from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. And then finally, two sections from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, first chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Well, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I pummel my body and subdue it, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And then finally, a verse from the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, verse 2 by which you are saved if you hold fast unless you believed in vain. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, You'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Grodi's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grodi's book, Journey's Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host. And just a few things, just to remind you that next Monday on The Journey Home, is a special episode of The Journey Home. It's the 13th anniversary show. We've been doing that program for a long time. And 
Usually on this anniversary program, I invite back a, a favorite guest or two, and we've done the same this year. Our guests will be Dr. Scott and Kimberly Hahn. So you want to tune in. That's this coming Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on EWTN. Hello, Patty. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. How it's, are you? Oh, I'm fine. It's Good. it's a, a great pleasure to have you join us on the program. Uh, you know, whenever I'm honored. I, <laughs> well, whenever I think about your journey, um, it, it's one of the, first of all, conversion is always a work of grace, and every time I hear a conversion story in the journey home, I'm always amazed at the work of the Holy Spirit. But yours was always a particular sign of God's miraculous mercy to me, uh, in, in my mind, because he certainly plucked you out of mm. what seemed like uh, one of the most anti-Catholic environments right. out of it's, which I've known any convert come. <laughs> it's a long way from Geneva to Rome. <laughs> and for the audience, that means hyper-Calvinism, <laughs> which is, I mean, that's the other side of the universe from mm-hmm. uh, from Catholicism. Um, even Methodists are closer to the Catholic Church <laughs> True. Than, the, uh, than the hyper-Calvinists. But what gets me is, and, uh, you know, you've got... Uh, Family members that to this day are, are, are you know, closed door anti Catholics, right? right? And uh, very much so. And you would have never believed back then that it would be through the reading of Scripture that nope. your heart would be open to the Catholic Church. Is that true? Not at all. Not at all. The only the only crack in the door was actually this this first election. Um, because this is the one thing I never actually bought 100% from a Protestant perspective, um, this, this first passage in Matthew 16. Let me read it again, then we'll let you jump into it. It's a familiar passage. I think I'm reading the Revised Standard Version here, and, and, uh, and Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, Patty, I'm quite certain that almost every anti-Catholic preacher has his knee-jerk answers to this. Oh, sure. And I've heard them all. And and none of them really made sense to me. I I had a wonderful Bible teacher slash pastor when I started to study, and I remember him going through this section not too long before my study began, and thinking, you know, that just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Jesus was the perfect teacher, and when he used wordplay, he used it perfectly. He didn't make some weak, barely connected word picture. He, he used excellent teaching techniques, and but I had never considered the fact that Jesus wasn't speaking in Greek, he wasn't speaking in English, uh, when he actually said these words. So I still didn't quite understand what it was he was working with, but I knew that, that Rock and Peter supposedly meant something similar, and that I just didn't buy the weak connections that I was hearing as explanations. Yeah, the... In fact, I want to point out to the audience, I don't know if those of you that are at home and you've got a Bible in front of you, but I quoted these from the Revised Standard Version today because uh, this is probably the most commonly accepted Bible translation amongst English speakers, Mm -hmm. though still a a huge percent still are with the King James, and then the Catholics, we Catholics have our own translations. But the reason I pointed this out is... You mentioned the Greek behind Peter, Petros, mm-hmm. or the Greek behind rock, Petra, and, and especially anti-Catholics would always make a distinction between those two, the one masculine, one feminine translation of this word. And what, I don't know if you ever noticed this, Patty, but you know in study of the New Testament that there are all kinds of, of uh, Greek words that have layers of meaning. Mm-hmm. And throughout the entire Testament, you could easily have one, if not a dozen verses on every page with a footnote to the Greek behind you telling you that this particular Greek word has unique meanings. You could do that in every page of the New Testament. But 
If you look in your Bibles, you will see that it's not done very often at all. They don't do that, except in Matthew 16. In the footnotes of Matthew 16, it says, Greek Petros, Greek Petra. Why? And to me, that just is it's just a clear indication that for a long, long, long time, the, the mostly Protestant committees that put these Bibles together, these translations, assumed that that was the silver bullet answer to this verse. Well, Jesus isn't that sloppy. I mean, he meant to say what he said. And one thing that helped me was I've spent probably three decades now studying the Spanish language. And so I'm very familiar with nouns that are masculine or feminine. Mm -hmm. And so when I read the explanation of why Peter is translated one way um, in the Greek and rock is, is different in the Greek, it made perfect sense. It's the same word, it's just that one's masculine, one's feminine, and you wouldn't look at Peter, this stinky fisherman, and apply a feminine word to him. So just like I wouldn't call sense. just like I wouldn't call you Patrick. Exactly. <laughs> You've got the feminine <laughs> version of that, Patty. So it, when I finally read the Catholic take on this, it just clicked. It's like Jesus was speaking Arabic, and in Arabic he said, You are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. It's the very same word in Arabic. Mm-hmm. It was only in the translating that it had to look different, and those that were reading the Greek back then understood why it was different that, and that it wasn't really different. It's just a different version or a different form of the same noun. And just for those of you that have not heard this argument before, Jesus spoke Aramaic, which was a more common version of Hebrew, and in that the word is kepha, or sepha, or later right. Paul refers to him as cephas. That's right. exactly what Patty's talking about. And he frequently called him that, because mm-hmm. that's, that's what he was, and he, he emphasizes that rock, and uh, that name comes up quite often. The other thing I noticed in here was that it's my church, not churches. <laughs> and, I, you know, as a Protestant... I remember my daughter, we were driving down um, Union Hills Road on the way to church one Sunday, and Union Hills is like church alley, you know, <laughs> just one yeah. after another after another. And um, I remember my daughter asking me, you know, Mommy, why do we know we're going to the right church? And I said, well, we go to the one that most closely follows the Bible as we understand it. And even as the words were coming out of my mouth, I was thinking, that's a real shaky argument when <laughs> you're driving down church row. And um, so anyway, it, I mean, to us as Protestants, it, was, it is churches. And um, especially from where I came from, um, we emphasize that because we're very elitist and we like to keep all those others out there, and they're very different, and most of them aren't even saved, as far as we're concerned. And let me... Let me clear that to the audience. I'm sorry, you're having to translate so much. No, not a, no, 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 no. That's not the point. It's just I know the fuller story, you know, your background, yeah, right. and, and we can't give the whole thing to everybody, you know, in, in one swell foop here. But the, the main issue is that you come from a background that wasn't only anti-Catholic, it was just about anti-everybody else, right? Absolutely. All the other Protestants were probably not saved either. Yeah, yeah. Very elitist. Extremely elitist. I remember saying to a friend of mine, we're probably one of a thousand people in the nation that are truly saved. That's how elitist mm-hmm. it, it was. The other thing I noticed is the second verse, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Now, I had never seen the, um, the passage in Isaiah uh, that this refers to and all the authority that it implies because it is a picture of that previous authority. The thing that... Um, the thing that struck me is I always believed that um, human beings were so so uh, immoral, so decrepit in their in their morality and their spirituality that you couldn't trust anybody to make a real declaration of of truth outside of of what you read in scripture. Um, so I didn't trust people. And here he's giving this kind of authority to Peter. And he's saying, whatever you say down here will be binding in heaven. 
Now, either Jesus is crazy, because <laughs> we know Peter. I mean, it's not too much long, yeah. it's not too long after this that he's telling him to get behind me, Satan. Yeah. So, you know, Peter was obviously human and um, not perfect 100% of the time. He had the ability to, to go wrong occasionally. So I'm thinking, Lord, what are you thinking here, giving him this kind of, kind of authority? And then I thought, you know, if he can say this, if he's willing to, to say that whatever you say, Peter, on this earth will be bound in heaven, he must have the other side of the story. In other words, I'll make sure that you don't say anything um, that is contrary to the holy will of God. So there's a, there's a guarantee implied here. I'm not going to let you go astray. I'll make sure that you speak the truth. And that blew my mind, because that's so contrary to the depravity that I, I, I was taught to see in every human being. I didn't think anyone could be really guided by the Holy Spirit that closely. Patty, that is a real interesting uh, conundrum in this dance, but you believed that the one truth in your life was Scripture, mm-hmm. written by men. Right. Yet you didn't believe, you know, as you just said, <laughs> that any man could be exactly. trusted. Yet you had this book. Now, unless you believed it dropped out of heaven on a cloud. Mm-hmm. I mean, there we actually have, we actually have a minister that keeps calling our offices that believe that the King James is the only book that we can trust because God gave it right to the church. You know, it's absurd. But the point is that in this verse is the reason that we can trust the Bible, just mm-hmm. as you're saying that God protected Peter and the apostles who wrote the New Testament books. I have a dear relative who likes to talk about the fact that Scripture has been so painstakingly preserved, and that God somehow made sure that that written Scripture navigated the centuries undefiled. And I would agree. <laughs> I, I have no problem with that at all. Uh, but my point is, why would the same God with the same abilities and the same sovereign power not be able to steer tradition the same way he steered Scripture? Why would that not be preserved as immaculately as Scripture has? That, that makes absolutely no sense to me, um, especially when you read the early fathers and you realize that they didn't just sit and listen to the apostles or those that learn from the apostles. Like, we listen to sermons. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're sitting in there in church, and, you know, depending on the homily, of course, you know, your mind could be anywhere, because you know you've got the Bible with you, and you know you've got next Sunday to listen, and it's not earth-shattering to you, maybe, that, that you listen carefully. But back then it was. Mm-hmm. The words coming out of their mouth were just as revered as the words that eventually landed on the pages, and they ruminated on them. They memorized them. They repeated them over and over and over again, like like the Eastern student mantras. Mm-hmm. They preserved them the way they came out of the mouths of the apostles. Just the same way that, that the monks would carefully copy Scripture and if they got interrupted, they had to go through a whole process to get them back on track so that they didn't miss anything. It, the same effort was, was made to preserve tradition as to, to preserve Scripture, because they are one and the same. Well, in fact, uh, we're going to take a break in a second, but the last Scripture that you chose for us to look at later, if we get to it, which is from 1 Corinthians 15.2, let me close this first section with the verse right before that, 1 Corinthians 15.1. Right. Paul says, now I would remind you, brethren, in what terms I preach to you the gospel which you received in which you stand. Right. That's a synopsis of everything you've just said, mm-hmm. is that it was God, the Holy Spirit guided their words so that they passed on what was true, and it was binding for the listeners. Right. And they were to remember that and to cherish it and to stand by it, and that it didn't even get put down into onto parchment until many years later. Right. And I think that's a key to understanding how much we are to trust both the Holy Spirit and the church. Let's take a break, Patty. We'll, okay. we'll, I'll ask you over the break, you decide which verse you want to jump into next. Okay. All right.
You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grote. I am joined today by Patty Bonds, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. Next time on EWTN Live, humanity is in great need for Christ's presence. The mission of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul is to present charity to the world. Join Father Mitch when he talks with the National President Joseph D. Flanagan of the U.S. Society of St. Vincent de Paul. That's on the next EWTN Live. EWTN Live with Father Mitch Pacwa is seen and heard around the world. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Patty Bonds. I want to remind you, have you made your plans yet to come to the EWTN Family Celebration? It's on October 9th and 10th in Canton, Ohio, and you're invited. And there's going to be a number of us speaking there. Uh, Dr. Ray Gurundi will be there. I'll be there speaking. Ray, Raymond Arroyo, there'll be others, familiar uh, va- faces and voices from EWTN. You want to join us. Great celebration, uh, book signings, and uh, if you want to find out more, go to EWTN.com for all the complete details. That's the EWTN Family Celebration, October 9th and 10th. All right, Patty, did you decide? There's a lot of verses there. Which one do you want to look at next? (laughs) Well, we're going to go to the last one, and then we're going to back up and see how far we get. All right, excellent. So um, there were a number of things I wanted to to, uh, highlight in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. And and you're right. When I was going over this last night, I thought, ooh, i got to do one, too, (laughs) or one also. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) Um, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. This, this passage reminds me, um, both verses remind me of the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. Mm-hmm. Um, we were always told uh, that the parable of the sower uh, had nothing to do with losing your salvation. It had nothing to do with Christians, really. It had to do with um, just the general world and how some people you know, reject the gospel and and others accept it, and of course everyone who is in church together studying it with that perspective assumes that they are the good soil, <laughs> and that they have, you know, followed Christ, followed the gospel to, to, um, to the greatest depths, and um, assume that they're part of the elect, etc. Um, now these folks that he calls brothers, um, he's reminding them of the things he has taught them, and as you mentioned, he's taught them orally. He's mm-hmm. not not had a Bible study, because they probably didn't have one, <laughs> a Bible, that is. <laughs> yeah. And they have received... If they did, it had been just Old Testament, was all they exactly, would have had at this point. Exactly, right? um, And they've received his words. Now, we, we I'm, I'm speaking Protestantese here for a minute, yep. okay? okay. Um, as, as a Protestant, to receive the Gospel would be to accept it, to say, yes, I agree with that. And uh, in many churches that would be called getting saved. Mm-hmm. And, and on which you have taken your stand. Okay, so now you've also um, committed yourself to it. So now, as we see when we get into verse 2, by this gospel you are saved. Now there's a good Protestant word. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm quoting right now from the NIV, mm-hmm. which I have been told by uh, Protestant authorities, is a translation written most closely to the Reformed position. Okay, right. So it's a translation made with a, with a purposeful slant, mm-hmm. which is why I only have one in my house for reference in writing things. Yeah. <laughs> it's not my study Bible, let's put it that way. <laughs> um, anyway, so this person, these people, these brothers he's talking to are saved, okay? Now we come to my, my favorite new word that I discovered all over the New Testament that I used to blip right on by, as Steve Ray calls it. Um, <laughs> if, oh dear, there's an if. An if means something conditional. <laughs> it's not a guarantee. It's not a solid lock here. There's an if. 
if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Now, they believed. Did you see that up there? They believed. They took a stand. They received. Hmm. But they could have believed in vain. Doesn't that sound like the, the, the parable of the sower? Yeah. They believed. They sprung up. They no. rejoiced. No, and no. then the world came along. And this is too hard for me. I'm out of here. Uh, did you remember uh, how your preacher or your family or your friends who were so staunchly Calvinist, once saved, always saved, mm-hmm. you know, a five-point Calvinist, what they did with verse 2 at all? <laughs> no. I, to be very honest with you, I was very grateful as a Catholic to get my whole Bible together. <laughs> um, to really be, and you know, down, down in my, the depths of my heart, I knew that. I, there's, this, there's this tool that Protestants use that I call a wino. And wino is like white out. And when you get to a passage that's really troubling, like in, in uh, 1st or 2nd Peter where it talks about baptism that now saves you, mm-hmm. you just wino over that and you say, well, we know that that's not, you know, the baptism doesn't save us because... We know that's other, not what Peter meant or what Paul right, meant. We, right, you know, we're not going to buy that. We know because of the teaching we have adhered to. Well, I never even considered the fact that that means some other tradition. I'm, I'm buying into someone else's tradition applied to Scripture. I remember my, my pastor at the time that, that I announced I was becoming Catholic sat me down and tried to talk me out of it. And the, one of the things he said to me is, Patty, you can read Scripture from the standpoint of the Reformation, or you can read Scripture from the standpoint of, of the Roman Catholic Church or sacred tradition. And I remember sitting there going, yeah. he was trying to very desperately to make a point and Uh, he did but he didn't make the point he meant to make Uh, the point was that you got to have the right vantage point to read this and when you do it reads very differently Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm I'm not going to spend too much time on that one I want to back up to 1st Corinthians 9 24 but I just just want to reemphasize as you're you all are turning to that passage that what Patty is emphasizing is something I would encourage all of you who haven't seen it yet, is to look through the New Testament documents for the word if. Mm-hmm. As she said, because there are a number of places in early, uh, uh, it's in Romans 8, mm-hmm. it's in Revelations chapter 3, you know, provided those who conquer, you know, all these issues, if you suffer, all these things are conditional. And he's speaking to Christians. That's Romans 8 is one of the biggest once-save-always-save supposed proof texts they have. Mm-hmm. And Romans 8 is riddled with if clauses, mm-hmm. absolutely riddled with them. And they troubled me, because at one point I memorized the whole 8th chapter, and <laughs> they troubled me when I memorized it. So what is all this if stuff? Yeah. And again, it needed a we know. Well, we know that if we're really saved, then those things are really going to happen. So, you know, yeah. write it out. Anyway, I'm going to back up to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. All right. Because, um, to me, this one <laughs> was, was definitely did not fit into my, um, my Calvinist mindset. Because to me, whatever God accomplished in my life, it was entirely Him, and I didn't make any effort. I mean, I didn't even choose to believe God just came along and sparked my life, my spiritual life, which they call uh, regeneration, and voila, I believe. Um, so it's none of me from a Calvinist point of view. Okay, so then we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And it says, Do you not know that those who run in the race all run, but only one receives a prize? Have you seen that somebody run a race? <laughs> they sweat. Yeah. They're working really, really hard. And everyone who competes in the game exercises self-control in all things. Notice that self-control, not just God makes sure you don't do bad stuff. It's self-control. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way, and again, I'm reading from the NIV, as not not without aim. I box in such a way as not to beat the air. I buffet my body and make it my slave. This 
man is exerting effort. Can you tell? This man is not sitting back and saying, okay, God, um, you know, I am worthless. I am depraved. Nothing good will ever come of me. I am a snow-covered dunghill. He is buffeting his body to make it obey the teachings of Christ. Lest possibly, after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. He actually believes that after being an instrument an apostle to the Gentiles, an instrument of the gospel to a huge part of the known world. I mean, this is Paul, the missionary. He's afraid that if he doesn't buffet his body, he may be disqualified. Hmm. That's really seismic. <laughs> it is. And, you know, when you, uh, I don't know if this was true for you, uh, Patty, but I didn't, learn to appreciate Catholic spirituality until after I'd come into the church. True. You know, John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, Thomas Aquinas, all those that that, uh, that wrote about the spiritual disciplines of Father mm-hmm. Gary Lagrange, all those. And that's what this reminds me of. Me too. That's what this verse is about, is that when you convert to Jesus Christ, that's not the end. Right. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of the race, and that's what he's talking about here. And asceticism was something we laughed at mm-hmm. as, as worthless and as, as, as human effort to try to reach God on their own merit. Now, you talk to any ascetic, and they will tell you they know full well that the fact that they believe, that the fact that they will to follow Christ, the fact that anything they do bears fruit is all of God. Yeah. We have no problem with that. We know that. But at the same time, we are not called to sit on the couch. We are called, faith has arms and legs, or it's not there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it does remind me the, of the ascetics, but it also tells me that Paul realized that with all the effort he's already made, and nobody suffered as much as Paul did, he could still actually, sometime before he passes this life, be disqualified. And that, that was a real struggle for me. Well, in his letter to the Romans, chapter 7, which my guess is that your background took Paul to be reflecting back to his pre-Christian days. In other words, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I can't do it. Lord, you know, who's going to help me? The Lord Jesus. When there's no sign in that that he's not talking about himself at the present moment. Right. You know, I'm a saved Christian. I've given my life to Jesus Christ. And I know what I'm supposed to do, but I still don't do it. I still keep failing. That's why he says here, you know, I don't run aimlessly. Uh, you know, I pummel my body and subdue it because my body wants to pull me away from Jesus Christ. Right. The flesh wants to win over the spirit. And there's that constant, constant battle. Which is really reflected in Romans 8. That's all mm-hmm. over Romans 8. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then if I just happen to let my eyes fall down to 1 Corinthians 10, which I know is not on my list. <laughs> <laughs> now you're dipping into that other 140 that you were going to. That's all right. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, it, it just happens to say in verse 12, so if you think you are standing firm, be uh, careful that you do not fall. Okay. Oh, <laughs> move right along. <laughs> no, that's a great one. You better read that whole section there just for somebody's wondering, what is she talking about? <laughs> okay. We'll start at verse 11 here. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the age has come. They're talking about the things in the Old Testament. They were written down to, to remind us, to warn us to, as to what happens when you walk away from God. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Yeah. I, now you may, I don't have my, That's my Bible fine. open to that. I have my notes. So. Mm-hmm. If you want to go back further than that. No, the only part following after that, the good news, is that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Which we know is the sacraments. Yeah, but it's it's grace, you know, that God enables us, empowers us. You Mm -hmm. put that in the context of 1 John chapter 2 when he says the reason I'm writing you these things for you is that you may not sin but if you do sin we have an advocate so right. the, the impl- 
the implication, which I'm sure, Patty, you didn't believe from your background, is that the implication is by grace we can actually grow in holiness. Exactly, which was a totally foreign concept. That's why, actually, uh, Romans 7 was not presented as the pre, pre-Christian Paul to me. It was presented to me as um, Paul's battle now because in this life we just don't succeed. Yeah. We are still that, that snow-covered dung hill yeah. okay. uh, until eternity. And so, you know how many right. ways that things can be interpreted if you don't have an absolute... Just like you said, the we, uh, you know, we knows, you know, that little yep. phrase. And uh, depending on whether you're Arminian or Calvinist or Pentecostal or Church of Christ or Oneness, Pentecostal, you know, whatever you're coming from, you throw the grid of your own mindset on it and make the Bible fit. Even, I mean, the Mormons can make the Bible fit. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, I never believed this. I never for a minute thought it, but... You can make the scriptures say anything. And if you only allow your mind to dwell in one particular tradition, you never get the opportunity to see the different perspectives on the same scriptures, which is why I think it's very important that we, that we familiarize ourselves with, with other faiths and, and broaden our horizons so that we, we realize how blessed we are, first of all, to have the, te- the church have the teaching office and the magisterium guiding us because you leave someone alone with this book and you can end up with anything i mean even luther said there's as many there's as many theologians now as there are heads and that's certainly that's certainly reflected in the church row i was driving down with my daughter is there's just there's far too much confusion. Who is the author of Confusion, Marcus? I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> well, he doesn't want you to remember his name, but he's called the Evil One. He's got a number of <laughs> names in Scripture. Oh, uh, yes. And just like he tempted Eve, he works in every one of us. But as Paul said in that verse that we read, that there's no temptation that, that not, uh, we've all been tempted. We've got to make sure, though, that we're listening to a trustworthy authority to make sure we're interpreting it what's true and not just according to what we want to say let's take another break patty and we'll probably uh time for one more of your favorite verses okay all right (laughs) (laughs) you're listening to deep in scripture your host marcus grodi joined today by patty bonds and you're hearing us on ewtn the global catholic radio network The Coming Home Network International is a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. The Coming Home Network International and Marcus Grodi invite you to join us for our 8th Annual Deep in History Conference coming this fall to Columbus, Ohio. This year, our focus will be on the authenticity of the sacred scriptures as we ask, how firm is your foundation? Join us the weekend of October 22nd as we bring together another exciting list of guest speakers. For more information, go to deepinhistory.com or call us at 800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Patty Bonds. And appreciate those of you who've got some emails in, but I'm not sure we're going to get them on the air today, so I appreciate you writing. We'll probably try and answer them on the, on the website. But uh, I, I did want to remind you, in case you hadn't heard, beginning tomorrow, there's a, a bit of a schedule change in live EWTN television. Beginning tomorrow, the World Over Live now joins our regular Thursday night lineup, Raymond Arroyo brings you the latest news from around the world Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on EWTN. 
And that which that means that therefore Life on the Rock also has a new time. Doug and Father Mark are joining our Friday night Catholic crew at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So sure to tune in right here on EWTN Radio. All right, Patty. Uh, Can I about? get a commercial in? Of course. <laughs> Run with My it. My blog site actually is Abba's Little Girl at blogspot.com. Good. I, you know, I saw that. That's listed on the website in case somebody forgets. Okay, good. If you go to deepinscripture.com, it's listed right after on the bio. Good. That's good. Abba's Little Girl dot blogspot.com. Excellent. Right. All right. Well, I saved the fun one for last. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, I don't know about you, but when I was just beginning to stick my toe in the Tiber, there were a lot of things about Catholicism that sent me running to my catechist going, ah, (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe I saw or heard this. You have got to make sense of this for me. Um, One (laughs) of them was the matter of sacramentals. Mm -hmm. And um, I... I can truly say that Calvinism, which is where I came from, is the closest thing I can think of to a Gnostic uh, faith because they really have managed to separate body and spirit. They they don't mean to. They I don't, don't think, mean to, but it ends up there. But sadly. it really does end up that way. the The practical application of the Calvinist point of view does that naturally, and. Um, so to me, the, the weirdest thing I'd ever heard was that some material object could convey the grace of God. That, that just was too spooky to me. I mean, that just blew my mind and really made me quake in my boots. And um, then I ran into this little passage here, among <laughs> others. I mean, I could sure. take you back to the Old Testament, too, and show you others that are like this. But, but this one really kind of sealed it for me and it says that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them now my background would say that was only done in that time at that (laughs) moment to authenticate Paul's ministry I'm here to tell you that is still going on (laughs) and has been going on uh, since the beginning. I think one thing I meant to bring up at the beginning and didn't is that um, one of the things that has badly corrupted scriptural interpretation is the concept of dispensationalism, Mm -hmm. where we draw lines through scripture and um, keep this part of scripture from relating to this part of scripture. Just for instance, the Gospels are are sectioned off by my previous tradition as Jesus just preaching to those that were under the law about the law and therefore everything he said was pretty useless once he died on the cross. Yeah, like Sermon on the Mount doesn't right. apply anymore, right? That doesn't was apply. common view. Uh, he, he was just trying to create the internal frustration that we need Christ because we can't do any of that stuff right. Well, the fact of the matter is Catholicism teaches us that we can indeed, through the power of God, do those things right. There is no line. That's an imaginary line between the Gospels and the Epistles. Totally imaginary. Um, so the line that keeps something like this happening, where, where they were taking his prayer cloths and his aprons and touching him and then carrying that grace to someone who needs it, uh, that's not limited to this time either. It crosses that line just fine. I have heard many, many stories in real life, um, modern life, where um, things like this have happened. And it took me a while. I remember one particular evening when my daughter and I had left Mass. We were, we were in RCIA, and we had a habit of leaving Mass and sitting in the area where there's a little prayer garden at at church and there's several steps up and then a statue of Mary which I had to work for a while to get okay with sitting near Mary (laughs) (laughs) another another time (laughs) we won't go into that but we were sitting on a bench near the statue of Mary and this man who I recognize as being someone on the staff or someone close to the staff he, he was kind of a pillar of the church there walked up those steps over the flowers and 
began to pray a prayer that had to do with touching Mary's head, Mary's heart, Mary's hands, and Mary's feet. Ooh, <laughs> I went home that night and I called Marie, my, my catechist, uh, who lives out there near you guys, um, and said, this is just freaking me out. You've got to explain this to me. Well, she explained it beautifully. He's, he's going through a devotional that has to do with Mary's, the, Mary's thoughts, Mary's heart, Mary's uh, acts of love with her hands, the way Mary followed Christ with her feet. It made perfect sense when she explained it to me. Um, but at the time, it was pretty shocking. And um, to me, this just, you know, and then we've got the, the dead bones and, and the Old Testament and man coming to life. There's mixed. Excuse me. Many good examples of of this kind of thing happening, and this this leads into the sacraments and the fact that you know baptism is effective, not not just a symbol, but effective. It it brings new life and and the Eucharist and everything. Um, it began to open the sacramental door for me and make me realize that that God, the Christian faith is an incarnational faith. It is not the separation of, it's, it's not something that deals just with our spirit, just with our soul. It redeems our body and our soul. And all of the faith is in, incarnational. It's, it's matter and spirit together, water and, and spirit and baptism. And this, Go ahead. this witness of miracles is really amazing, Patty. I mean, I'm sure you, you had the awakening of realizing that the idea that the church eventually declares a person a saint a part of the criteria is that there right. are two miracles at least, exactly. and they're not just uh, you know run through the mill and 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 just accepted uh, easily, but they have to be examined even by non-Catholics to make right. sure there's no explanation. And there's thousands of saints mm -hmm. that the church has recognized that these miracles continue. It's just an right. issue of do we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and exactly. the trustworthiness of the church. Patty, we've run. We've only covered four or five of your 150 <laughs> verses. Guess we'll have to have you back. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. I want to remind the audience of your website again. What is it? Abba's Little Excellent. Well, they can contact you there and find out more about your story. Absolutely. Thanks, Patty. Thank you. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you. And all of God you. Bless. Bless you too. Patty and all of you joining us on this program. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. Uh, Patty's got a powerful story. Go to her blog spot and listen to her witness and you'll find someone that is deeply in love with Jesus Christ who's been touched by the Holy Spirit and is also deeply in love with Christ's church. God bless you. See you next week. <laughs>